Luke divides a great swagger material um, to um, sermons or accounts, as what Peter describes, that we are always be ready to give a defence or an account to anyone who calls for the hope that's in us, doing it with gentleness and reverence. And so the first um, uh, part of the series was Stephen's speech, a whole chapter, chapter 7, given to his defence of his faith before the Sanhedrin. That was to an audience, uh, um, a completely Jewish audience. And today we're looking at uh, Paul's defence uh, as he's in, uh, in chains uh, before King Agrippa and a whole host of other people. It's a mixed audience of both Jews and non-Jews, Romans. And then, as I said, if God's willing, uh, and Todd, um, we might have a, a look at, um, again, a sermon before a completely um, non-Jewish audience. So I'm going to read uh, to you today this uh, particular chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 26, Paul's defence before King Agrippa. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defence. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defence today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced they ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
it is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defence, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they'd withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of Paul that continues now to speak to us. We pray, Lord, as we think about these things, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, help us to understand the truth contained in the words you spoke to Paul and the words that Paul spoke to those who were hearing them in that first instance. Lord, help us to uh, work out what is true and what is good and what is right in response to your great love towards us. And so please you in what we say and do, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in my mid-twenties, uh, I had just become a Christian and was working in a very similar way to what I'm doing now. I was uh, driving around the countryside. I was actually uh, living in Tasmania, uh, single um, and so quite uh, free, uh, but driving around Tasmania. And one of the things I accepted early on as a Christian is that I needed to 
share my faith with other people. Uh, The call really to make disciples. And so I really didn't understand uh, uh, too much at all, but I just knew I should do that. And so I had a plan. It was, uh, it was sort of a bit of a basic plan. Um, if I'd see a hitchhiker, I'd pick him up and he'd be my audience. And so uh, <clears throat> it did happen one day that I saw a hitchhiker as I was driving along and this guy wanted a lift to go somewhere. I can't remember where it was or uh, exactly when it was, but... Um, I picked up this guy and I remember I I couldn't take him all the way to where he wanted to go, but I did take him a fair way. We probably spent about 40 or so minutes in the car together and he didn't say much and I felt really awkward because I wanted to say a lot. (laughs) But um, we had conversation, but wasn't really that spiritual. Uh, And again, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do remember how I felt. And I kept thinking, you know, this is actually really hard. How to share what I believe with this guy sitting next to me in the car. And I got to thinking, I don't know anything about this person. You know, like, yeah, we've talked about different things, but I still don't know anything about him, what he believes or what he thinks about. I don't know actually how I could explain the gospel, where to start and then where to finish or exactly how to put it in a succinct way. And nor do I want to end this conversation badly. I want to know how to finish up so that perhaps he goes away and really thinks about what I got to say. And... I was thinking about these things and I said, but I still got to share something with him. And as the journey went on and as I got closer to where I'd drop him off, I kept on chiding myself and I thought, you know, like, yeah, I've got to be bold, I've got to be courageous, but each time my fear overcame my enthusiasm. And uh, so eventually we got to the destination after many times I said, I've got to say something now, I've got to say something now. We got to the destination and he starts to get out of the car. What am I going to say? I'm just going to say goodbye? No. I said to him, you know, I've got something to say to you. I said, yeah, he says. I said, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a real good cop out for me, isn't it? Because he'd be closing the door and then I wouldn't have to say any more. And he couldn't ask a question and I couldn't say anything more. Um, And, well, I probably have never seen him again. Probably never will see him. But he did say, oh, yeah, okay, thanks. (laughs) And off he went. And I think, honestly, if we're, we're honest about ourselves, as I'm honestly sharing with you... Uh, most of us, all of us, have fears and struggle, uh, if we're a Christian, to be a witness. Uh, Defending our faith, defending what we believe. And uh, Peter writes that we ought to be prepared to give an account, uh, doing it with gentleness and reverence for God. 
So how do you think about this? Uh, Perhaps you've had some occasions where you've actually talked to people about your faith and perhaps struggled to put it in place. What prepares you to share? Well, I think this passage in Acts chapter 26 gives us three things to note. We need to know a bit about our audience, who we're speaking to. We need to know actually what we're going to say. And what we need to say is what the gospel is about. Actually help them understand what the gospel uh, is and to know where we're going, to know the direction that we want to finish up. We know, we know where to start, but we also need to know how to take them to the next step if there's a next step. And so, firstly, let's uh, think about knowing the audience. And Paul starts out in verse 1 to 3. The first thing, he, he gets invited by King Agrippa. Now, I will explain as we go along about King Agrippa a bit. But the first thing he recognises and acknowledges Agrippa's um, call for him to defend himself. And so um, he raises his hand in this uh, lovely gesture, or thank you, King Agrippa, for inviting me to speak. And um, he's going to then talk about uh, how he can defend against all the accusations. And, uh, but he knows something about Agrippa because there in verse 2 he says, well, I know, I'm, I consider myself fortunate because you know all the customs of the Jews and you know about all the controversies of the Jews and so therefore I don't need to go into too much detail. I, I can understand a little bit about you and I think I'm fortunate to speak before you. Uh, And what we know about Agrippa, not only from Luke's account in the book of Acts, but we also know from a a well-known historian of the time, Flavius Josephus, uh, quite a bit about the Herod dynasty. The Herod dynasty lasted for about 140 years, from 40 BC to about 95 AD. Started off with Herod the Great. Now, if we hadn't thought about Herod the Great, well... He was famous for building the temple, which uh, the disciples commented, what, what a great structure it is. It was a magnificent structure until the Romans destroyed it in 70 AD. But he, he instituted that, but he also was famous for um, killing all the infant children around Bethlehem and in Bethlehem. At the time, those three or supposedly wise men came from the east looking for the king of the Jews. He was fearful of his position, so he destroyed all the young kids around Bethlehem. That's what he was famous for. And so we encounter, uh, or he gets mentioned in the Gospels. And then uh, he, had, he, he had four wives, and so he had quite a number of children. And um, we might not know about Herod Philip, but he was one of the tetrarchs that ruled uh, following Herod the Great. Philip I was the son of Herod, had a wife named Herodotus. Now we hear about her and her daughter Salome. But Herodotus fell in love with her half-brother, Herod Antipas. And so Herod Philip I got banished. And of course, when uh, 
Salome was dancing before Herod Antipas, uh, he said, what do you want? And of course, he, she listened to her mother who said, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And that happened. And of course, um, Antipas was the one that Jesus came before and Jesus didn't say much. So he sent Jesus back to Pontius Pilate. So he's mentioned in the scriptures. And then there's Herod Agrippa I, that is Agrippa. This is King Agrippa's father. He was a king who ruled all of Palestine, like Herod the Great. But he was noted in Acts 12 for the beheading of James, one of the apostles, and also the imprisonment of Peter. And of course, so in Herod's family, or this Herod dynasty, and Agrippa II was the last of the Herods, he would know all about these things because his father would have told him and about his grandfather and his half-brothers. He would know all about He was a Jew. And that's why Paul was quite aware of who he was speaking with. And um, Herod the Gripper had uh, two sisters. One was Drusilla and she um, left her husband and married uh, a procurator called Felix, which we read about in Acts 25. And of course, she kept on sending Felix to Paul, who was imprisoned, and uh, to, to inquire about the faith. But typical politician, typical um, Roman governor, he wanted a bribe. He wanted to uh, release Paul, but um, he, because Paul spoke about righteousness and justice, and of course, uh, that would have chided, um, uh, chided Felix. Uh, he was torn between uh, his wife and his pride in being a Roman procurator and he kept Paul in prison, even after it was uh, probably against the law to keep a person in prison after two years. And so this is the point. When we want to share something with someone, we need to understand a little bit about what they understand. For a start, do they believe in God? Some people today might say, well, I don't believe in God. Um, Do they know something of the Bible, what the Bible is about? Perhaps they might have read it, but they still don't understand it. Do they understand who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do? And... uh, You know, we know it's possible to believe in God, but not really to examine the evidence. We know it's possible that uh, people have understood what the gospel is about, but they don't want to accept the claims that the gospel makes for them. Uh, And they don't want to find peace with God because they're happy in the way they are. And many people don't understand what the Old Testament is about, so they just concentrate on the New Testament but the Old Testament points to Jesus and and confirms who Jesus is. And so many people aren't taught a lot about what's in the Bible. And sadly, that's a great lack today. And it's not a sin to not know what's in the Bible. Um, But that is why we should be seeking people to, encouraging people to be patient uh, as they as they are listening to our account. And that's what Paul asked King Agrippa, uh, that he should be patient. But we not only need to know specifically the person we talk to, and we may only have an audience of one, like I had 
on that car journey. But, you know, we need to be mindful that other people will pick up on this. Other people could be there listening to what we're saying to that person. And this was the case in terms of King Agrippa. King Agrippa was um, recognised by the Romans as an authority on Jewish matters. He was uh, regarded as an advisor. And he was a ruler in his own right by the Romans. And he'd come to welcome Porcius Festus, the procurator that take Felix's place in Judea, who took over the fact that Paul was in prison. And here... This is another point in the fact that we also need to know who we're talking to specifically, but we need to recognise that there could be a broader audience. Paul is not only talking to a Jewish person and a Roman um, governor in the sense, or king, King Agrippa, but he's talking to a whole crowd of people who are listening to him in uh, in this auditorium, so to speak. And this is what he's done. This is the fifth time he shared his faith, his testimony, uh, after he was arrested. In Acts 21, he spoke to the crowd there, and there was a a Roman uh, uh, leader there. And then he spoke to the Sanhedrin, and there was uh, Roman soldiers there. And then he spoke to the procurator Felix, a Roman uh, procurator, but there were Jewish people there making accusations. And then he spoke to... Uh, the procurator Festus, and now he's speaking the fifth time to King Agrippa, where there is both Jews and Gentiles. And you can imagine this scene that uh, we didn't read it, but in chapter 25, it talks about that, well, yes, Agrippa is keen to listen to Paul. So the next day they set up this court and in stroll these royals. Uh, King Agrippa and his sixth sister, Bernice. And uh, with all the pomp and circumstance, with all the, the, the purple and red and uh, lavish clothing and the soldiers, the tribunes, and all the city officials are all there. And I can imagine there was someone else there, although we might uh, find it hard, we don't have any definite evidence. But I think Luke the writer of the Gospel Luke and the writer of Acts was there too. Because we pick up in the story in Acts that Luke journeyed with Paul. He he met Paul perhaps in Troas in Acts 16 and then uh, went over to Philippi on Paul's second missionary journey and and then he also joined Paul on the way back to Jerusalem uh, in Acts 21, 22. 20, uh, 21 before Paul was arrested. And Paul stayed in prison for two years. And then we pick up that Luke went with Paul, even though he's arrested on the ship uh, before they were shipwrecked, uh, immediately after this chapter in Acts 27. And so perhaps uh, Luke was there. And I'd say that because just a little detail like raising his hand and just the little detail like uh, Festus crying out, you're mad, Paul, uh, might not have been inserted when someone else was telling Luke the story. I think uh, Luke includes these details for our benefit that we need to understand uh, when we're speaking with someone that we're speaking to an audience that we hope 
is listening to uh, these important points. You know, and we see Paul uh, straight away honing in on what Agrippa would know. Agrippa would know what the prophets have said, what the hope of Israel is. Just like Stephen honed in on the fact that the Sanhedrin recognised the authority of Moses and the authority of David as the the one who uh, established and, and then following Solomon built the temple. Moses as the prophet and priest establishing the law. And so he honed in on those, how they pointed to Jesus. And now Paul is honing in uh, with Agrippa, honing in on the fact that he would know all about the prophets and what they spoke of. And he would also know all about Jesus of Nazareth. And so we need to know the audience uh, and not just close the door and say goodbye. We need to get to know the audience and hope that we can have time to actually share the gospel uh, to some degree. So then we come to this second point. We also need to know the gospel. And this is where Paul starts to talk about his life, how he came to know the truth about Jesus. And again, I have two points. We need to know both the content and the command. The content and the command. Paul tells his story not just to defend himself, but to tell the gospel. Now, this is a simple, straightforward question for us. What is the gospel? Can we explain it to someone in perhaps a few minutes? Like I said, there's a couple of points here, the content and the command or the response. So this is what Paul does. In verse 4 to 9, he says, look, I was of the strictest sect, the Pharisee, uh, and all the Jews would know this. And now I stand here for my hope in what Israel has hoped for all this time. We were following the law. We were obedient to the faith that goes back in Israel's history. And what the 12 tribes hope to attain. And what is the hope of Israel? Well, of course, it was that a Messiah would come. A Messiah, a son of David, a descendant of David. A one like the prophet Moses who would dispense the law, who would bring in a new kingdom. A king would come following David's line and establish peace and prosperity as it was in the time of Solomon. That's the hope. And the question in verse 8, what a marvellous question it is. Uh, The question in verse 8, why is it thought incredible that God could raise a person from the dead? That's a great question, isn't it? Why would anyone think today that if they believe in a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, a God who created the universe, who created humankind, a God who, who is before time and in all the world, everywhere, can't raise a person from the dead? God could do that. Of course he can. But then do you notice how Paul links that with Jesus of Nazareth 
in verse 9. That Agrippa is very familiar with being Jewish and the gospel is centred on the fulfilment of the hope of Israel, that Jesus came and fulfils what Israel was hoping for. And you just need to see it, King Agrippa. You just need to understand that all the prophets point to Jesus. All the scriptures, as Jesus pointed out to those two on the Emmaus Road, point to him. He is a fulfilment of that hope for Israel. And so Paul goes on then to tell his story, but in telling this story, how he he was a Jew and belonged to the Pharisees and he persecuted the church everywhere he went, even to foreign cities, but then he met Jesus. And that's what's really needed these days with people. They need to understand and meet Jesus. Now that is the content of what he's saying and he tells it in a, in a couple of ways. Um, and of course, this is really the gospel. God made the world, it was good in the beginning, but then through our choices it became corrupt. And so then everybody, every person is in this sort of pickle in this dilemma that we can't get right with God. There's no way we can get right with God. We can't solve the fact that we're debased and we're so off the truth, living a life uh, that's not really one of peace and joy and contentment. And Israel was like that. Israel was always going off in a tangent. And the prophets kept on calling Israel back again and again to repent and turn back to God. But then God sent Jesus. And what what do we understand about Jesus? That he was the perfect man. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He lived the perfect life. And he died a death he didn't deserve in order to take our sin upon himself and give us his righteousness. This is the the great exchange, if you like. And then God, in order to show us and reveal to us that this was his plan and is his plan, he raised Jesus to life to show people everywhere their need to turn to him and worship him and believe in him. And Paul tells, as I said, Agrippa, the content of the gospel in several ways. He, he said, you know, this is what I was called to do. This is what Jesus called to do, to testify to both great and small uh, what Moses said would happen, what the prophet said would happen, that the Messiah would come, that one greater than Moses would come and speak and you ought to listen to him and that he must suffer, as Isaiah pointed out in Isaiah 53, that he would be first to rise from the dead And he would proclaim through his people the truth, the light for both Jew and Gentile. The content of the gospel is summed up in this, that Jesus is both saviour and Lord for all. And it's important to get that through to people and understand that content. But it's equally important then to know how to respond and call for a response to that content. The gospel is much more than just knowing some facts 
And many people say, yeah, I've, I understand all that, but it doesn't change them one little bit. They don't then say, oh, well, I've got to read my Bible or go to church or do anything. The call is to honour him and know him personally. It's a call that is also has two things to it. Repent and believe. That's what Jesus first started preaching. That's what Paul and Peter started preaching. Repent and believe. And Paul pushes Agrippa to think it through. You know, you believe the prophets. Oh, he didn't give Agrippa a chance to answer. I know you do. What's Paul's next question? Well, okay, if you believe the prophets, then you believe that Jesus is the fulfilment of the prophets. And Agrippa was straight onto it. He understood where Paul was going. And he said, do you think in this little time, in this little amount you've just explained that you can make me a Christian? He understood exactly where Paul was going. But you see, that's the problem with so many people. They don't understand the command. They understand the content. They don't understand the call to repent and believe. And many people say, yeah, I've read the Bible. I've heard people say to me, I've read the Bible through. I I had it all done in Sunday school, you know. And I don't need to do anything because Jesus has done it all for me. But without turning to God, without understanding and knowing God personally, there is no renewal of life. You can hear the gospel again and again. You know, you can have a church on every corner. You can have people telling other people the content of the gospel. But if there's no response, there's no repentance and turning individually then you can't be called a Christian. And uh, I've heard some people say to me, well, you know, I'm following. Jesus is a great example and that's what I'm following. But I don't want to listen to those who say that, well, you know, there's judgment and condemnation for those who don't. You see, to know about Jesus' words is good, but... We don't just want to know about, we want to know him as a person. Let's imagine, just imagine that your best friend came up to you and said, well, I'm thinking about you, you know. You're my friend, but this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that you're a, just, you're a real party animal. You, you and your partner or, you know, whether you're a, a man or a woman or a, a, a young boy or a girl, that you like to go out and let loose and live and, and just live it up. Wine and parties and loose living, just like that prodigal son. That's what you're like. And I'm thinking that that's you. And, I, and you know, you can, uh, you can sort of, I'm allowed to free, I'm free to think what I like to think. We, we agree about that. What would you say to your friend? What would you say? Would you say, you know, sure, it's okay for you to say that you're free to think that way, but that's not, that's not me. Those are not the facts. 
If you're going to continue down this line, I'm not sure that you are my friend. That you don't know me, you see. That I'm not like that. And that's exactly what Jesus said he would say to many people who say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? He says, I don't know you. You say, well, I want to think about Jesus like this. No, no. You have to know that Jesus reveals himself as the scriptures tell us. That he is true to his word and his word is there for us to read. And therefore we can understand what he does. But only if we come to him. And he does marvellous things. He sets us free. This is what Paul was saying, you know, like I wish everyone was here like me, except for these change. Because he set me free from slavery to sin, from slavery to uh, the law, from worship of oneself, from the constantly being obsessed with gaining this or doing that and pleasing other people. I want to please God first and foremost. And to know that I'm loved and forgiven is just an amazing thing. He shows me this and he gives me hope every day. And the gospel is not just about that one fixed response. I've just decided to follow Jesus. It's about an ongoing response. It's about a response that accepts what Jesus has done for me every day. And I recognise and I trust that, I hope that you do too, that Often we'll say, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I'm inadequate. I lack courage. Like I was there, keep thinking to myself, I've got to talk to this guy. I lack courage. I I have some conviction, but I don't know what to say. And we may think that, but there is one who does give us courage, who, who does it for me. And that's Jesus. And so Paul stresses this to Agrippa. He says, well, this is what people, this is what Jesus does for people. Turns them from darkness to light. Turns them from Satan to God. Gives them forgiveness and hope that they'll be among those who are being made holy and righteous. And so this is a very important Matter. We not only need to know our audience, know the gospel, and finally we need to know where we're going with this. And specifically and personally, Paul was seemingly interrupted by Porcius Festus, the procurator, saying, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And Paul responded, yes, you know, I'm speaking true and rational words, words that can be understood that truth that is cogent it, it's it's clear it's understandable and then he said for the king he turned it back to king agrippa the king knows about these things he's heard all about these things and that's why i can speak to him boldly for i'm persuaded that none of them escaped his notice and agrippa then responded to paul you, you want to make me a christian you think I could be a Christian? And Paul 
Paul picked up, you know, and this is the direction, and this is clearly what he's saying. Whether it's a short time or a long time, whether it's a short amount of material I'm talking about or a great amount of material, this is what I hope for. I'm not just defending myself, but I'm explaining why it is important for you to understand who God is and what he came to do. He says, I hope that everyone would be like me and come to this realisation, this fact, this truth. Paul had this purpose. And I think it's quite reasonable that some people will take time to come to an understanding. As I said before, a lot of people don't really understand the Bible at all. They don't really understand the gospel. And so it may take some time to weigh up what is at stake here, the eternity, the weight of eternity. And that's why it is important to work out where we're going in the conversation. There's no question we'll have opportunities. We all have opportunities. Um, But uh, no matter who you're speaking with or, or when you're speaking with, it should come about some way or other. This is the way we could think about ourselves. You know, if we're reading the Bible, if we're reading the Scriptures, uh, something's going to come out somewhere because we love God so much. We, we honour God so much in our lives. You know, if, we, if, we, if someone just squeezes us, something will come out. <laughs> someone just pushes us, we'll say something about what God's doing in our life. If we're, if we're, if we're accused of doing something, we'll, we'll seek God's wisdom in how we re- respond. And so Paul said to Festus as he was pushed this way, he says, I'm speaking the truth here in rational words you can understand. Come on, listen to what I'm saying. Take time to understand this. And this is where I'm going. Whether, whether it's a long time or a short time, I want you to understand Christ and accept him as your Lord and Saviour. Now, you know, it's hard sometimes to work out where people are at, but there are people who, who work on morals. They're, they're great moralists. Uh, they, they've sorted out what's right and what's wrong with, with things, and so they, they are wanting to live by the rules. And so where do we start with a moralist? Or well, perhaps we start with that, well, you know, one day we're going to stand before not just a judge of this world, but a judge over all of life. And he's the one where ultimate freedom is to be found in, in knowing that that judge is not only judging against wrongs, but also he's merciful. And how does he show it? Well, he's shown his mercy by dying for us on the cross. Or if you're talking to a secularist, you know, someone that wants to put religion there and believe, you know, there's different beliefs, but that's all right as long as we can get on together. But don't you bring your religion into my place or or my life. And they're big on keeping religion as private. But, you know... Everyone, in, in a sense, is religious, even those who say they don't have religion. As someone was saying to me the other week, uh, they, want, they want to live a good life, but they say, well, I don't, I'm not religious. 
but they are religious in, in, in believing something. They don't believe in God. They're religious about that. And then they want to force that religion perhaps on others. Or there's the humanist, the materialist, just as um, we see Paul responding to Festus. We can respond to those who put all their hope on gaining things, on having a good life. Um, Festus was uh, first and last a politician like Felix, worshipped power and... um, while the Romans had their gods, uh, they didn't want, to, want anything to interfere with their political career. Uh, and just like Felix uh, left Paul in jail, so Festus wanted to deal with Paul. And that's why he, he was so glad that Agrippa was there. So give us something to say that I can write to Caesar about this guy because I really don't have anything to write. I don't, I don't know why he's here. But because he's appealed to Caesar, I've got to send him off. I've got to say something. You know, and many uh, materialists, humanists, they, they switch around the truth. They, they alternate between objective truth and subjective truth. And subjective truth is truth that is truth is good for me, but it may not be good for you. And this is the way a lot of people think these days. You know, it would be terrible if uh, we didn't have some objective truth in our lives. Uh, Just for example, doctors, they work on objective truth. Oh, you have this pain, do you? Okay, where is this pain? Uh, And uh, let's look at this pain. It could be appendicitis. When I was 17, I... I did have a big pain. It was on the wrong side of my, from where the appendix were. So I had three doctors examine me. And um, <clears throat> thankfully they got the diagnosis right. But imagine if the doctor and, all, and, and the doctors then and the doctors today said, well, my gut feeling is that you're just imagining your pain. I don't think you have anything wrong with you. The pain is is really just a placebo pain, you know. You think it's there, but it's not really there. You don't have appendicitis. You don't need to have any treatment. You certainly don't need an operation. Just go home. Because I'm basing my diagnosis on how I feel about and how I see you. And that's what I think is true. Objective truth is different from that. It doesn't matter... uh, who you are, it's, it's, it's true for you and it's true for them too. And that's what the gospel is about. It's objective truth. And yet people will still need time to make a decision and that's why we need to a, a plan to say what we need to say. Leave, as they say, a stone in the shoe. Just... Just something to make them think, a a flea in their ear, uh, a thought that's so not easily dismissed. Who is Jesus Christ? Have you really examined the scriptures for yourself? Do you read it at all? Have you read the Gospels? Why don't we sit down and read it together? That's a good exercise, don't you think? I'm not making any judgments. Just why don't you take time to do it if you haven't done it? You know... 
Each of us will be called to give an account. Let's do it with gentleness and reverence. You know, the important thing I think, think that Peter says before that in 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, but in your hearts, reverence Christ as Lord. Honour Christ in your life. And then you'll be ready to give an account. Well, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this, uh, this very encouraging response of Paul before the authorities of how he not only knew his audience, but how he articulated and shared the gospel, calling for a personal response from King Agrippa and everyone there. And he did it in such a way that revealed a gentleness and reverence and honour for you. Lord, may it be so for us. And if we don't understand or we haven't made a commitment this day, help us and draw us near to understand Uh, Help us to take time uh, and ask people to help us. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.